Wake up, NHL fans. It is Tuesday. This is your morning cup of hockey, and there is no Colby Cohen today, so I am a little bit off the hook, but we are welcoming on NHL insider Frank Valley to join me for the entire show today. We're going to talk about a ton of different things like Jack Hughes' participation in the All-Star game, some trade rumors, some names that might be a unique fit in certain places that I'm going to bring up to Frank. We're going to talk about the All-Star breakdown and how it's working, and then we're going to talk about the Eastern Conference, Western Conference teams that have jumped to the top of the standings and maybe are a Stanley Cup contender as well as the Jack Adams Trophy. So before we get into all that, I want to welcome on NHL insider Frank Saravelli, who's going to be with me here all day. And Frank, I know Kobe probably texted you on the side to please bully me all morning, but I would really appreciate it if you didn't put the foot on the gas all morning. Look, I'm a nice guy. Why would I do that? (laughs) I don't know, man. You guys are boys from growing up. You never know. But uh, I can also take the heat if you want to bring it to me. So I don't we'll mind. see. So. We'll see if you can. I'll be the judge of that. But I want to jump right in because yesterday, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN wrote an article about talking to Steve Mayer about Jack Hughes's participation in the NHL All-Star game. And it made a lot of New Jersey Devils fans upset. They don't want to see him play in the All-Star game if he's not going to join the team right after. I want to get your feelings on it and what you think Jack Hughes should do, what the right decision would be. My thought process would be if you are not 100% healthy, meaning if you are not playing either right before or right after that, you shouldn't be participating. If you want to go and enjoy the weekend, awesome. You want to be part of the draft? Amazing. But in terms of playing in the actual game, look, these things are glorified shinny competitions. We know that. It's more or less pond hockey. But in this case, the freak accident, we don't have to look very far in, you know, in the New York area to understand that sometimes things just go wrong. Look at Philip Hedel and the collision that he had last week at the Rangers optional skate. How many guys were on the ice, Johnny? Three? Three. Yeah. Three guys on the ice and someone ends up with another concussion. I mean, I think that's a different scenario though, because I mean like the the Why? head issues. Jack Jack Hughes suffered an upper body injury. It's not a re a reoccurring head problem that Hedel's been having. I, th- I mean, I think I get your point. It's, it's not as likely to happen, I think, with Jack Hughes' injury as it was with Heedles. I mean, Heedles was being a, a little bit extra cautious, and he slipped up one day, and, and yes, okay, it can happened. You answer me this. Yeah. Can you 100% rule out that every single player on the ice in Saturday's All-Star game will come away injury-free? No, definitely not. Okay, so isn't, doesn't that answer your question? But but anyone can get hurt at any time. I feel like if Jack Hughes is fully healthy to go, but why Jack not? Jack Hughes is not fully healthy, and he rarely seems well, to be fully healthy. He's, he's not fully healthy right now, but they are taking it day by day. And if he feels fully healthy come All-Star game, why not? It'd be a good tune-up, if anything, to go play in the game uh, the following week, I feel like. Okay, so here's my thing, and maybe it it just stretches back to his rookie year. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like with Jack Hughes, when I watch him, because of his size, and not at all because of the way that he plays, I always feel like he's one of those guys that's one hit away from being out for a significant period of time. Fair or unfair? No, that's fair. I mean, you look at a lot of these smaller guys in the NHL, and you know we haven't really seen Quinn Hughes play in uh, legit playoff-style hockey yet, and I think he's a guy that you'd be concerned about you know, come that time of year. But with Jack Hughes, and I think... Quinn with- feels, he, he looks thicker to me. Is that is that not fair? I don't think so. I mean, okay. from seeing them both in person, they have the, like very similar body types. I, I wouldn't say Quinn's, you know, much thicker, much bigger than Jack. Um, if anything, I, I Luke's clearly the strongest of the three. I, I would think, even though he's the youngest, um, just based on body type and maybe 
you know, being in college a little bit longer than Jack, you know, who didn't go to college. Um, and that could be an effect too, right? Jack never really had that year or two in the gym that Quinn and Luke had playing at Michigan. Um, that goes into development as well. But I, I think it's just, you know, with the all-star game, like you said, Frank, anyone at any given point can get hurt. And if Jack feels healthy enough to play, I think it benefits him. It benefits the NHL because he will be playing in a real hockey game probably a couple of days later if he is fully healthy. So why not get out there, feel the puck a little bit? There's not going to be any hitting. I think it's just a good thing to get him kind of going for a real game action. Hey, I, I understand where the league is coming from. I understand where Jack yeah. Hughes is coming from. He wants to, anytime you're injured, you want to be on the ice no matter what. And if you can participate in this case with your brother, well, that's pretty cool too. I, I mean, I, I understand the pull. I guess if I were Tom Fitzgerald running the Devils, I, I just, that, I'm expressing how I might feel if I were him. Mm-hmm. Totally fair. Because here's the thing. The truth is the devils are out of runway. If Jack Hughes misses another significant chunk of time with all the other injuries that they have, especially on defense, you could probably stick a fork in their season. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I don't think the devil stand a chance if Jack Hughes doesn't come back. Um, he is, he is their team. I actually spoke to Tyler Toffoli last week and to even said it like we play a much more team game when Jack's out of the lineup because we know he can take over a game when he's in the lineup. So it was interesting to, interesting to actually hear him come out and say that um, straight up that Toffoli was Kobe's uh, text <laughs> um, to come out and straight up say that they're a different team when Jack Hughes is in the lineup versus when he's not because you'd like to think a guy is basically interchangeable and it's a seamless transition when he comes into the lineup but with a player like Jack Hughes that can just take over a game any given night. Um, it was kind of interesting to hear him come out and say that straight up devils three, six and one in their last 10 lost two in a row Mm -hmm. sit tied with the penguins in points percentage or caps below the penguins. A lot of people, you know, depending on how you look at it and you know, you sort through the standings by points or points percentage. Um, some people don't consider the Penguins an authentic playoff team and the Devils are below them. So do you have the Devils making the playoffs if Jack Hughes is back? Jack Hughes is back. I still think they need to get a goalie. They're not getting any saves. I, I think that's been their biggest crutch. And the, obviously the injuries to the blue line have been huge too. I mean, they're missing their top pair, but I don't know, man. With, with Jack Hughes, I think they're such a different team. I, I really do think they can push I made the playoffs. I, I think Philly's coming out no matter what. Um, so I think that'd be a team that the devils can jump. Um, but it, it's tough to say without, without getting the safes. I mean, it I really wouldn't be can't. shocked if, if you had the standings today mm-hmm. that the eight teams that are in there right now are the, I'm not saying the same order, but the eight teams that are in there now are the eight teams that end up making it. You think the flyers are going to stick around and make it? I think they certainly could. They've banked enough points already and yeah, they've lost five in a row and you know, they're not all that far away from being out of it, but also consider like, this is how the NHL points standings work. I mean, you look at the Rangers and they really haven't played good hockey in two months. No, They're still leading the division. Yeah, but I think Carolina is going to jump that pretty soon. Carolina to me, but we've been saying that for six weeks now, Hey, Carolina's on, they're on their way. They're good. They're going to, they're going to hop the Rangers. They haven't done it yet. Well, since all you do is milk, milk, squirt, squirt points. That's it. Bank points as much as you can. Since Christmas though, Carolina's 11, two and one, they've been playing pretty good hockey. 
and and their power play, their penalty kill has been, you know, up there with the best in the league. Carolina has been to me, one of the most trending upward teams, I think in the entire NHL since Christmas. I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm totally, yeah. we are, we're saying the same thing, but mm-hmm. all I'm saying is once you have banked the points, it's really hard for teams to topple you because all you kind of need is, is one here or there every week, you know, not one point, but like if you have four games, get points in three of them or two of them and you're on your way. Like you're not really seeding much ground because it's that much harder to hop over teams. Well, let me ask you this between the Islanders, Penguins, Devils, and Capitals, who are the four teams outside the wild card right now, which team do you think has the best shot at making it? Mm, I'm going to say the Penguins. Interesting. I actually think the Islanders. For, for I don't know, I don't know what re- I, the Islanders to me just under Patrick Waugh, I think that they they will start to get it going here. I think after the All Star break, I think Matt Barzal and Bo Horvat. This is also the year anniversary of Bo Horvat being traded to the Islanders. Once once Ilya Sorokin, I think gets back to what he's been in the previous years because Sorokin hasn't really been, you know that that game changing goalie that we've seen in the past couple of years where Sorokin he actually really- has been if you could look at the underlying numbers. This you could make the argument that this is like Sorokin's either best or second best season. Really? Compared to last year? I thought last year he was unbelievable. He was, but if you actually look at goals saved above expected and all of those underlying things, the way mm-hmm. his his overall save percentage is not that impressive. But the way that he's bailed out this team with the number of high danger chances he's facing, they're elite, elite numbers, and they're not even close to the playoffs without him. Mm. I didn't know that. And so you mentioned today's the one year anniversary of the Bo Horvat trade. And so I, I did pull up the NHL standing since then. The New York Islanders have played 79 games. They're 37, 26 and 16. So that's a 570 points percentage. 570 points percentage is doing the math on the fly. 93 points. That in a good year is very borderline to make the playoffs. So in the year since, the the Islanders have basically been average. Right on the edge. They're a playoff team on the cusp. That's it. I, that I actually want to jump. Uh, no, but I want to jump back to the Sorokin thing quick. Because... Okay. I think you look at the underlying numbers, like you mentioned, you talk about goal saved above, above expected, but does the time of those saves matter? If you, if you have a goal saved above expected, let's say in the first period versus the third period where it can cost your team a game. I mean, think about all the overtime losses that the Islanders have. Like that's a lot of extra points on the table where the Islanders had they gotten that save from Sorokin. That's, you know, maybe how many overtime losses do they have like 13 right now. They have 14 or no, 12, 12 overtime. I don't, I don't think the timing of it matters. And I'll tell you why. Let me, it's just over an 82 game season. There's I don't a clutch think factor though, a clutch factor. Okay. He, here's let me throw this next stat at you. Mm-hmm. The Islanders have 166 expected goals against. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here are the only teams in the league that have a higher expected goals against than the Islanders. Ready for this list? The Montreal Canadiens, Anaheim Ducks, Columbus Blue Jackets, Chicago Blackhawks, and San Jose Sharks. That's it. No one else that's even sniffing the playoffs is really even that close except Tampa. Tampa's mm-hmm. at 162. Yeah, that's rough. That it just good. goes to show you not only yeah. have the Islanders not scored, they have a negative 22 expected goals differential. 
mm-hmm. but they've given up the sixth most, you would think, ex- you know, expected goals against high danger chances, everything that's associated with that. It speaks to how good Sorokin has been this year. Yeah, they haven't been the defensive team that we're used to seeing. That's for sure. But they've also had a lot of injuries as well. Like they've missed Pelic, they've missed Pulak. Um, you know, a couple injuries to their blue line. If they get a little bit healthy here in the second half, you know, who's to say they can't go on a run? But that's you know, so you say neither of us picked the Devils though. Yeah. Why? No, I, I think I, I think like I said before, the goaltending that's been their number one issue. They can't get saves. They can't. The Devils aren't. I, the Devils aren't doing what? I think it's a chicken and the egg thing. I really do. Their defense is no good. Well, it doesn't and, help. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of yeah. Luke Hughes and Simone mm-hmm. Nemitz, but they're going to be two unbelievable defensemen. But you saw Damon Severson say it, was it last week or yeah. 10 days ago when he came mm-hmm. through that he knew that once the Devils got rid of him in Graves that they were asking too much of their younger guys? And that was before Dougie Hamilton went out for the year. And before Jonas Siegenthaler went down. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that how was many the teams can survive taking out the top four defensemen and their goalies still look good. You take four out of your six from last year's team that had a decent playoff run. And how, how many, how many goalies are going to look good in that situation? Yeah. Not many, not many, but I, I would pick the Islanders. So is it really the goaltending? It's a mix of both. And I think even Lindy Ruff has said that. I mean, he said, I was at the game against Vegas and he said, I'm always looking for more saves. I need saves. You know, I, I think he's obviously one to be a little bit more protective of his players, but he flat out said, I need more saves. Like, you know, you, you can't allow four or five goals a night on, you know, goals that maybe, you know, a wrist shot from the top of the circles. You, you can blame a defenseman for a bad gap, but that should never, that should never go in on an NHL goalie. You know, like those are just goals that have to be stopped. I get it. I just, I find it interesting that I actually, I think the hardest part for Tom Fitzgerald and the devils is to figure out how aggressive to be. I mean, they've got a lot of surgery to do just to get in. Are you, are they expecting that Dougie Hamilton could be back for the playoffs that might change the scenario a bit, but I still think they're at like, they'd have to improve their defense and improve their goaltending to do that all at one deadline is going to be not only expensive, but hard to do. The market's not that great. Mm-hmm. Um, we have gotten a little bit off topic. I want to jump back to the all-star break before we go into just some topic. East. It is what we say it is. Well, I mean, I could, I could talk about this for the entire day and I want to talk about the all-star break just a little bit or the all-star game at least. Cause there's a lot of things that I think people don't really know. And I was wondering if you can explain how the draft is working, who maybe has the first pick. I don't even know if that's been decided yet. I actually don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> okay. But it, it is three on three this year. Uh, they, there are four teams. Um, they are doing drafts, but who do you want to see play with who? Cause I think it's interesting to see like dry and McDavid. Let's say they get the first pick. Who would you want to see with those two guys in the first off? I think it's kind of cheesy that those two guys are together. But get those guys. That's on how they're kind of grouping everybody. Yeah, I know, but that yeah, spice it up. Like we don't need to see another version of the Edmonton Oilers. I'm well, not, we get, we get that 82 times a year plus playoffs. Like I was talking to producer Rick, but let, no, let's allow in our imagination to, to wander a little bit and say, Oh, huh. Dry He played with so-and-so at the all-star game. They appeared to have impeccable chemistry. I wonder if 
whenever he becomes a free agent, is there any chance he'd consider leaving? I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm playing it up for drama's yeah. sake, but my point is, why, why do we need to see those two guys play on the same team for what? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. We see them play together all the time. Uh, like so Quinn Hughes and Jack like he, would be fun. It would have been juicy to see if McDavid, if he gets the first pick, for instance, does he take mm-hmm. Leon? What I think he, he would. I, I, I mean, we, they're best friends. We would think that that would happen. Yeah. But what if, what if, you know, what if the Hughes brothers get the first pick and they took Leon? I mean, that's what would drama. Make for drama. That that's what would make for fun, and that's really how you spice it up to me. Well, there's a good question for you because who does Austin Matthews take first, Mitch Marner or Willie Nylander, or does he even take them? It'd be more fun if he didn't. Yeah, yeah. It'd be more fun if someone else took them first, so that he can't. Mm-hmm. I think that's the play, but I don't know if NHL players are like that. I don't know if they're built like that to that's, do that. That's why if I'm the NHL, I force them to be like that. Sorry, like McDavid, you are the only captain here. You know, it's not a joint captain thing. I, I mean, I could understand the Hughes brothers thing. You want to play mm-hmm. that up, but short of that, like you, you don't need a, you don't need any help. You don't need any assistant captains. You you have a a co-captain that's a celebrity. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. Me. Personally, all I'm looking for is for Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid to play together. I think they've talked about it on the national or international stage uh, multiple times. They haven't really had the chance to do it. I think that'd be a really cool thing to see those two play together. So hopefully Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will go out and draft Sidney Crosby. That's what I'm looking for. Do you think they're tired of talking about that? hundred uh, percent for sure. You, like I, that plus anytime, like how about McDavid earlier this year when the Blackhawks, you know, they finally played the Blackhawks and he's like, oh, this question again about Bedard. Like, it's just every generational guy gets asked about every other generational guy and it goes on for, it feels like generations continuing to ask these questions. I'm I'm sure they're tired of it. Yeah. I mean, but they're also probably intrigued, but every one of all four of those teams would love to have Sidney Crosby. So. But who, but who would you want to see Crosby play with most? Is it not McDavid? Like, that's just, it's got to be him. I don't know. I think he'd be good anywhere. Again, I, I root for chaos. Hmm. So I want whatever the most chaotic situation could be. Okay. Well, that brings me to the, my next thing. Because speaking of chaos, I wanted to bring up someone that you wrote about a few weeks ago, Trevor Zegers with the Anaheim Ducks. You know, there's a possibility maybe of him being shipped around, you know, maybe not soon, but in the near future and a team that I would like to see him go to. Yes. Cause I live in this area is the New York Islanders. I think the Islanders could use a little bit of spice in their lineup. I think Zegers could use a bit, a bit of a change of scenery, but is there one other player in the NHL? And, and I want to know if you think that's a good fit for both parties, because I'm sure Islander fans would say Zegers isn't the guy to get us a Stanley cup, but I don't think the Islanders are one player away from winning a Stanley cup. But do you think there's another superstar like Zegers right now? in the NHL who needs to change the scenery more than him. All right. I'm going to ask you a tough question to start first. Do you mm-hmm. think Zegris is a superstar? I think as far as being marketable. Yes. I think as far marketable as marketable doesn't a- count. Like if you can, uh, no, not as a player, do the Michigan, no. you can do the alley-oop, whatever you want to call it. You can be on video game covers, great personality, all those things. Would anyone say hockey wise that Zegris is a superstar? No, but I think all that stuff also has him overlooked as a player. 
because this is still a young kid. He's 22 years old. He had back-to-back 60-plus point seasons. I know this year without was a, a lot bit, of support. Yeah, I'm yeah, just playing devil's advocate. This year was a little bit slower for him, but like this is still a really good hockey player that does have a ton of upside, in my opinion. He's only t- he's so young. He's only 22 years old. Okay, here's my next question. Mm-hmm. How similar to Matt Barzell is Trevor Zegers? Not much at all. I, I think Matt Barzell brings so much more to the table than Trevor Zegers does. I'm actually a huge but Matt that's Barzell actually, fan. He, he's gotten that brought pulled Comparison? out of him on the island, I think, right? Like he they've they've developed him into that. Is that not fair? Into the player or into the person you're saying? Into the player. Uh, yeah. I mean, he hasn't been anywhere else to to develop somewhere else. No, so, but yeah, he, did, he didn't. The things Matt Barzell is doing now, he didn't start his career doing. Is that fair? No, his rookie year, he had like 85 points. He was dominant. Not, it wasn't about the points. You said he brings so much more to the table. As far as playing a complete game, yes. He but didn't I still, have that to start his career. I mean, I still think he did a lot of incredible things to start his career. That first year, he was unbelievable. His rookie year, he was sensational. Mm-hmm. I think this year is his best year by far. I agree. I mean, you see him now. He's even like lining up for one-timers. He's become more of a shooting threat, which he hasn't been before. But his skating, to me, like I, I've always said it, I think Matt Barzell is a top-five skater in the NHL. And I, I think watching watching three-on-three hockey, I think maybe behind McDavid, behind Dreisaitl, and like McCarr and McKinnon, I think Matt Barzell might be my next favorite to watch play three-on-three. Okay, here's my next question. Mm-hmm. What do the Islanders have that the Anaheim Ducks would be interested in? That's hmm. the hardest question yeah. to answer, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. Because if you look at the Ducks, like they've got their defensemen on the way. You saw Olin Zellweger make his debut last week. Like they're they've got a bunch of really interesting pieces. Minjukov has been really impressive to start this year. Um, like now you look at the group that they have in the forward, you know, position with Cutter Gauthier, Mason McTavish, you know, we're gonna see um Leo Carlson, like he, he's going to, you know, that guy's a budding superstar. Like he's the real superstar is Leo Carlson. Hmm. I would say what the Islanders can give Anaheim where both teams would somewhat benefit is a guy like maybe JG Pajot, who's, you know, a responsible guy at the bottom of the lineup that can kill penalties a little bit older. You don't think so? No, JG Pajot is just another version of Adam Henrique. Yeah, but he's on his way out. That's my point. He's on his way out because they don't want slash need him. But if you don't they think wanted they should him, have any, him, they would have just kept him. You don't think they should have any sort of veteran presence in the bottom of their lineup that can kill penalties like that, like a JG Peugeot? What's Alex Kalorn going to do? That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean there's, that's there's, why they signed Kalorn. They overpaid to bring in a veteran presence that, you know, why not him? I don't know if, well, I, I just think, okay, for one, I think to just set the baseline on where things stand with Zegras, mm-hmm. I think we all not are in agreement, but understand that Trevor Zegras and the way that he plays may not be a fit for how Pat Verbeek envisions the Ducks playing. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two is a trade is highly unlikely to materialize before the deadline because Zegras has been hurt. And three, because 
why would the Ducks, if they're going to actually consider moving Zegris, which I believe they will, and I believe they've already engaged in some conversations to do so, why would they do it now when you could have 16 other teams be in the mix come the summer? I don't think they would do it now. So it doesn't make any sense yeah. to do it now, but so we're setting the table for the summer. Yeah. I just have a hard time. Like, first off, the Islanders desperately need a shot in the arm with some youth. Yeah. Like that's, that's one thing that I think they're really struggling with is to try and turn it over to some of these younger guys. I mean, Noah Dobson, does he count kind of as young anymore? I, I mean, probably not. He's 300 games into his NHL career. Um, I have a hard time finding something if I were like, if I'm the Islander or sorry, if I'm the ducks, like I don't want more picks mm. and they're probably going to be mid to, you know, anywhere from 14 to 21 in, in picks next year. I want pieces that can help me get to where I want to get to. And I just don't know how many of the Islanders can offer that are enticing. If you're the ducks. Well, to your point about the youth, you look at the Islanders forward group right now, they only have two forwards that are under the age of 26. Like this is, this is a disgustingly old group. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old team that has so many guys signed up for the future. Barzell, Horvat, Pierre Engvall, for some God unknown reason, Adam Pellick, Scott Mayfield, and Ilya Sorokin are all locked up through 2029 at least. 2029 like 2024 still feels like the future to me i don't know about you but i'm like 2029 i can't even count that high the mayfield contract is probably the craziest no the angval contract is think so why on earth why on earth would you give a player of that impact on your team seven years at least he's 27 years old mayfield's already like 31 okay but what is the best case scenario for Pierre Engvall? Yeah, I know he does more than, you know, obviously put up points. And yeah, so some may say, oh, this guy's in tremendous shape. He's, he's chiseled like a Greek god is what I was told. Islander fans love him, though. He's, he's loved around here. For what? Because I think he plays that, like, you know, that, that Barry Trot style that the Islander fans have become obsessed okay, with. Yeah, you know who else did that in other markets? <laughs> think of guys that got super long deals. Okay. They never really worked out. I got this is a bad example, but the one guy that stood out to me was was Kyle Clifford in LA, five mm-hmm. year deal. Are the mm-hmm. like those guys aren't really all that dissimilar. T- anytime you take super long deals and give them to guys of that ilk, I think by like year four, you're like, okay, like this guy has served his useful purpose. We could have just done with four years. But I think that's the problem too right now with a guy like Engvall because the Islanders roster was built toward that trot system, right? Like playing shut down D, not scoring too many goals. But now under Patrick Watt, it seems like they're kind of steering away from that a little bit. So I think there has to be some sort of reconstruction to fit more of what Watt is going to bring as opposed to what trots brought to this team because the Islanders aren't going to score, you know, two, three goals a night and just shut it down. Now that's, that's not how this team's going to work. So that's why the Zegers that's thing how they kind of, want it to work, but it's not gonna, yeah, it's, it's not gonna with, with how they're built. So that's why the Zegers thing in my mind was interesting because you bring in somewhat of an offensive player that, you know, might not be the most responsible in his own zone yet. He's still a young guy. He can figure it out as time goes on, but 
I think having a guy like him as not a centerpiece, but someone to p- support Matt Barzal a little bit, support Bo Horvat a little bit. Like the Islanders need more skilled players up front. They do. You know, I know, I know you have the respect for a guy like Anders Lee and yes, Brock Nelson can score goals, but this roster isn't very talented up front. Mm, I mean, I would tend to agree with you. And isn't that exactly why you don't give Pierre Engvall seven years? Not to harp on him, but so like, let's take another comp of mm-hmm. Pierre Engvall. And I would look at. We actually got a comment in the chat about one. Jeremiah Colton, Maxwell. How about Colton Sissons? Colton Sissons signed seven years, 20 million bucks. So one million less comes out to 2.85 a year. Colton Sissons has almost triple the goals that Pierre Engvall has this year. He signed to a lesser cap hit, same term. They signed, uh, I think, right around the same age. I mean, that's that. I'd see that as a somewhat worthy bet. He's already got 25 points this year. He's on track to finish just under 50 for under 3 million bucks. That's a steal. I like I just don't think Engvall has the offensive capability to make it worth your while. You to me, I think teams get into trouble when they overpay role players. I'm looking for his career high in goals. Engvall has five this year. His career high is 15, 15. and 21, 22 with Toronto. And, and that's when he got paid, right? Yeah. And and Jeremiah Maxwell in the chat, who I want to shout out, actually said he reminds me of Brooks Like type player that played on the Washington Capitals. Oh yeah, Jeremiah's uh, a Caps fan, right? Yeah, and actually, and Kobe Cohen made a, a good point too. Kobe's in the chat active. He's probably jealous and having fun while that he's not here. But Kobe said it doesn't make Kobe sense is, to give first a role off. Play. Kobe is sick and twisted. If you couldn't make the show today, quit chatting. <laughs> uh, that's true. Good point. But he did say um, to give a role player a long deal. I mean, look at Barkley Goodrow. That's that's a contract. That's a nightmare in New York as well for the Rangers. Um, you know, fourth line guy making three point five, three point six million dollars. It's, I just said it. You teams get into trouble when they overpay yeah. role players. Can you get someone to give you exactly what Pierre Engvall gives you for a million bucks a year? Probably. Mm-hmm. And for a team that has cap strapped itself and has continued to double, triple down, quadruple down on this roster, where like they've got to find avenues and ways the Islanders do to turn things over and 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 dig up some new ground and I. I just don't know how they're going to be able to do that. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, the Islanders, again, like they're a team, I feel like that's been knocking on the door these past couple of years that just don't have the personnel to get it done. And it's sad because I think the Islanders right now, they've done everything just as a part of their organization. They've done everything the right way over the last decade to make them a more attractive organization for players to come in. They built well, a Frank. That yeah. arena is unbelievable. Their mm-hmm. practice facility is great. They finally feel like a major league team in New York, which is they've sort of been in the shadows. I covered many a game at Nassau Coliseum. I just, I don't, I don't agree with you in terms of where they're at after they, they fell short. You know, they had those runs to the East final. They had two of them. And the year after that, when they fell short, that should have been when they started to turn the wheel a little bit and think. And instead they were like, Oh, we're just going to sign everyone to seven and eight year deals. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, this team, there are, there are going to be very few changes for next year. You've got your top seven highest paid forwards back, your top four highest paid defensemen back, both of your goalies. 
Tell me how different this team's possibly going to be next year if they don't make it this year. Well, I don't think they're a contender. I think they're a playoff team. I don't I don't think they're a legit Stanley Cup contender. That's what I'm saying. So if you're yeah. not a threat, all you do is double and triple down on a barely playoff team, and now you've left yourself no wiggle room to get out? Mm. Good luck. Mm. Yeah. Good luck. Well, Frank, I also want to... Just mentioned you're old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they like I said, two forwards under the age of 26. It's, in, it's insane. Um, but I want to go into your trade board. You know, as we approach the trade deadline here, there's a lot of names that you have floating around that I'm curious about the order you put it in. Is it the best available player that you have this list made at or the most likely to get moved? It is a combination of impact, availability, mm-hmm. and likelihood of a trade. So that's a pretty good peek at it. Um, it's it's a moving, living, breathing list. It, it It's updated every week. And then... Once we get closer to the deadline, a couple times a week, and and then every day, so it's something that is going to constantly continue to evolve. And to you, who's the most interesting name on this list right now? Who do you think can really boost a team, and and which team do you want to see boosted most at the deadline? I think high impact guy has got to be number one, Elias Lindholm. I I mm-hmm. think, look, he is, he's not going to take a team that's a borderline team and turn them into a cup contender. But I think what he can do is take a cup contender and turn them into a favorite. And the support that he provides at that 2C position, the flexibility of, hey, you know what? Um, Our top line center is hurt. Lindholm can carry the ball for you. And he's someone that when he's playing with elite players, like go back and look at his last year with uh, with, um, Johnny Gaudreau and... Uh, Matthew Kachuk, 42 goals, 82 points, Um, like high impact player that can really do a lot. And I think the biggest question is with all these teams that need centers, how many of them are willing to pony up and pay a big price for Lindholm and how much do they like him? So there's a lot of competition there. I would imagine, you know, you're talking about Colorado, Boston, Vancouver, uh, Winnipeg, like you're, you're thinking of some, you know, some of the biggest teams in the league in terms of standings and, you know, being in that tight circle of cup contenders. Those are all teams that are right there. Well, teams that aren't right there are the Chicago Blackhawks. And we have a question from Ian Gallagher in the chat. What are Frank's thoughts on Friedman saying Kuzmenko to Chicago? So I did check in after I heard that yesterday. Um, my understanding is the Blackhawks have not reached out to the Canucks in any way about Kuzmenko. I think it's probably just a name that's on their list internally to look at, to say, Hey, if this guy becomes available and the Canucks aren't asking anything for him, essentially, if he becomes a salary cap casualty and or dump this year with one year remaining on his deal, that's a player that the Blackhawks might be interested in given that, he is one goal away last year from 40 goals and 75 points. I mean, that was his first entree foray into the NHL, and he looked pretty damn good. This year, he's been a square peg in a round hole and sort of can't navigate the non-negotiables that Rick Tockett has for the Canucks. So 
For Kuzmenko, um, I think the Canucks are going to try and be patient. He's looked a little better at times. He still had some egregious mistakes. And part of that might just be, look, when you're a healthy scratch, when you get into a game, sometimes you overthink it. And I think they've got um, a little bit of runway to figure this out. But if they're really serious about adding significant pieces, Kuzmenko has to be the odd man out to make room for money. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on if there's any like sleeper team that could be secret buyers at the deadline. Secret buyers? Like someone who's not really in the mix right now in the playoffs. Like a team I'm thinking of is like the St. Louis Blues. You know, like no, they were not a buyer. Not a buyer. No, they even if they're in a playoff spot, they could be a seller. That's why the West is so fascinating. You've got your seven teams. I'm going to include the Kings in that group for now, thinking that they're probably going to make it you know, out of this rut that they've been in. But you've got seven teams in the West that are at least six that are legit. The Blues certainly aren't in that category. And Doug Armstrong has acknowledged publicly to me, I, I did a Frankly Speaking podcast, had him as a guest in November at Hall of Fame. He was unbelievable. Go, go and listen to his thought process on how to build a cup contending team. And he said, point blank, we're, we're not there and we're a few years away. So if that's the case and that's authentic, which I believe it is, then you should be selling off pieces, not trying to buy. So um, I would think the Blues, um, I think we, we know the Flames, but uh, the Preds are not really in that different of a situation as the Blues. Those two teams neck and neck. The Preds, Barry Trotz has acknowledged like, hey, we're, we're two to three years away from being mm -hmm. where we want to be. Let's move some pieces. And you mentioned those six teams in the West. I'm curious to hear which team you think the West runs through right now. I, my original Stanley cup pick this year was the Dallas stars. And I don't see any reason to deviate from that. They've mm -hmm. survived stretches this year without Jake Ottinger, without Miro Haskinen. I, I look at their lineup. I don't see any holes. They've got the goalie with pedigree that can has proven playoff success. I think maybe like if you squint hard enough, you could be like, you know what? We, we need a third pair defenseman. Okay. Like can't really cost you that much. Um, I, I just, I don't see a lot of weaknesses in this Dallas team. And I think really why I'm sticking with that answer and knowing that the Avs have had playoff success, knowing that they've won a Stanley Cup recently and McKinnon has been in video game mode this year and the Jets have defended as well as they have, the Jets actually lead this, the division in points percentage. For me, I think Dallas's game with how heavy they play is so easily translatable to the playoffs. And I think they're going to be really well positioned once they get there. I actually agree with you. I think Dallas and Florida play a, sim a pretty similar style, you know, East versus West, as opposed to comparisons. Uh, and Florida would pay, be my pick in the East. Yeah. I said to Colby yesterday, I think there's there's no team in the NHL right now that has a better mix of heavy and skill than the Florida Panthers right now. Like, I think everyone's they're also kinda, really fun to watch. Yeah, they're a blast. And their goaltending has held up. So... Colby gave me a lot of shit yesterday that I didn't have the Oilers as the best NHL team currently right now because of their 16 game win streak. And I want to just read out the teams they've beaten because I tried to explain to him yesterday that the wins haven't been very impressive. I know they won 16 in a row, but 
but they haven't beaten legit teams in, in that win streak. And I just want to read it out because I want to hear your thoughts on the Oilers too. I know their stats are great right now since Christmas. Yeah. They're 14-0-0, scoring 3.64 goals a game, allowing 1.29 a game, and their power plays at 29%. PK's at 95.5%, which to me is the most impressive number. But here are the teams that the Oilers have beaten on their win streak. In order, the Devils, the Rangers, Sharks, Kings, Ducks, Flyers, Senators, Blackhawks, Red Wings, Canadians, Leafs, Kraken, Flames, Jackets, Blackhawks, Predators. Like All I heard was blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that doesn't mean shit. You don't think so? Why would it? I mean, you can only play who's lined up to face you. And more than that, they already got through the meat of their schedule. They went through a, an absolute sausage grinder the first you know six to eight first two months of the season the reward on the back end of this after the holidays was that their schedule got significantly easier and in fact it was something that was a big topic of conversation in the Edmonton media was like hey just survive this gauntlet and we'll be good yeah but they they struggled through that gauntlet they had to fire their coach not really they back up a second bud they had a <laughs> 16 I just got butted. Streak, I just got butted. 16 game winning streak, three game losing streak, eight game mm-hmm. winning streak. I, I'm pretty sure they beat some good teams during that eight game winning streak. Mm-hmm. So that so brings that to my next them, point. That makes them 24 and three in their last 27 games. Are you going to tell me that all 27 of those teams were shit? No. And there's and there's never an easy game in in the NHL. We all know that. But I still think not according the, to you. I think there's easier games on the schedule. There's not easy teams to beat, but I, I think it'd be a little bit more that, impressive. So, so let me let me rewind back yeah. just to like play yeah. Oilers, um, you know, whatever for a second. Mm-hmm. Oilers supporter. Are you one of those people last year that was saying, oh, well, dry side all season is not really that impressive. Look how many goals he has in the power play. He's the power play merchant. No, I'm not a power play merchant guy. I think your power play is just important as anything else. And I, and Last I actually, time I checked, the goals count the same. I, I hate when people get up. They, everyone gets on top of Mika Zibanejad for that, calling him a power play merchant. And I, and I know that he hasn't been as strong at 5-5 five and five this year. But your power play is arguably as important as anything. If your power play is not clicking, guess what? You're not winning the Stanley Cup. Like, I, don't know, I don't know one team that's won a Stanley Cup that's had a shit power play in the, in the last few years. Not many. Yeah. So I, I'm with you on that one. I agree with you on that one. Or disagree with you. I don't know. I think you're on the same side as me here. Yeah, but what I'm saying is you just made the same argument about the wins. Are you saying wins are wins? Wins are wins? Is that the point you're trying to make? Yes. Yeah, I, I know that wins are wins. But I think everyone's like freaking out about how the Oilers are the best team in the NHL now because of this win streak. But listen, had they had to go through Colorado, had they, had they had to beat Winnipeg on this win streak, had they had to play the Boston Bruins? Like, yeah, their previous their previous eight-game winning streak before that, so as part of this 24-3, and three, they beat the Caps, Ducks, Golden Knights, Jets, Haynes, Wild, Devils, Hawks. Jets, Golden Knights, and Canes, Jets, Vegas, and Canes, and and I would add like the Devils are a fringe playoff. Like they're not nothing. We just crapped on the Devils thirty minutes ago. Yeah, but they're not the Ducks (laughs) or the Blackhawks. Like yeah, yeah. So here's how I look at the NHL, and tell me Mm -hmm. if I'm crazy. There's Mm -hmm. five elite teams, 
there's 22 average teams, and then there's five dog shit teams. It's funny. I, I mean, I kind of have a similar, not this year, but the way I just like talk about teams is there's elite teams, there's great teams, there's good teams, there's bad teams, and there's shit teams. I, I have those too many categories. categories. Yeah, I know. But uh, that's like my own Johnny Lazarus metric. <laughs> Whatever kind of math that is, that ain't math. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so win, so with this Oilers win streak, I want to talk about Jack Adams. Is okay. Chris Knobloch in that conversation? He's got to be, right? I don't know how he couldn't be, yeah. but he wouldn't be my pick. Who would be your pick right now? Rick Tockett of the Vancouver Canucks. And it's that, because of last year to this year, that progression? Non-playoff team. The Oilers were always a playoff team. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was saying that even during their rough start. And frankly, I advocated, and I'm not saying that they made the wrong move. It's hard to argue with the results, but... Jay Woodcroft is a good coach. I think the change that they should have made was bring Paul Coffey on the bench in exchange for Dave Manson, which they finally did, but only once they made the head coaching change. That's been a huge difference for the Oilers. They defend so much more efficiently. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Chris Knobloch's candidacy, but I don't think you can overstate the impact that Paul Coffey has had on the Oilers. But the Canucks, they had no structure, no discipline, no system. They had star players that were meandering. And they have been one of the most consistent teams. And everyone remember the first month of the season, the hot topic at the end of October was when are the Canucks going to regress? Yeah. Last time I checked, they hit the all-star break tied for the league lead in points. 8-0-2 in their last 10 coming in. Mm -hmm. 10-2-2 since Christmas. I mean, where's the drop-off? The consistency has been there. And I think a lot of people would argue that this Canucks roster is is still kind of imperfect. Like, they've got some... I think they've got some places that they can fill in and help this team come the deadline to really vault them into that super contender category, the threats. And I think they've, they've come a long way, but a big reason for that is the coach. Well, that brings me to this. What's the latest on Elias Patterson? Cause he's got to stick around if they're going to have any success, right? I think, look, the Canucks are it. You, you finally heard a little bit of them cracking when Patrick Alvine gave an interview to Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. And he did mention, like, it's pretty highly unusual for a player of this magnitude to be unsigned. And look, he's an RFA. Like, we get it. But the Canucks have made every effort. And I have no indication that this is about money or term. The Canucks are willing to work with him. They're willing to, you know, break out the Brinks truck and write the check. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of in his own world. He's like, he doesn't almost doesn't want to be bothered by it during the season. And I would say it hasn't bothered him to this point. So just sign your name on a piece of paper that makes you a very wealthy man. <laughs> That's like, because like, let's consider the deadline now, right? Mm-hmm. It's really hard for the Canucks to go out and trade for a player with term, not knowing where they stand How, with them. Yeah. yeah Pedersen's going to be such a big part of their cap picture moving forward. Even if you pencil him in at 
12 and a half or whatever and work off of that assumption, you still need to sign Philip Heronic. And you can't really sign Heronic until you 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 figure out Pedersen first. And then you want to trade for someone that might have some term to work into your team. I I just I think he's frustrating them and I think he's getting in the way of their ultimate plotting and planning for the deadline because he's not signed. And I think they're gonna try and pursue it again during this all-star break. Let's get this done. Let's have another conversation. And Let's see what happens. Do you think the longer this holds off, will it affect them come playoff time? Like no, not knowing where they stand with him? I don't know. I think once you get past the off. deadline, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Do you think at all that the Canucks this year are the devils of last year? Where it's somewhat of a magical run and then maybe that that, that run just like the no. ceiling is the second round? No, because I think the difference is the Canucks have a goalie. The devils, they were changing guys back and forth last year. Schmid came in and played well. Mm-hmm. Vanacek obviously isn't the answer. I think that was one situation where a team not almost exclusively lost because of their defense, their goaltending, but that was a pretty clear indication to me what they were missing. The Canucks don't have that, and they've got some players that have some experience around them. It's It's rare to see a team that doesn't have the sort of playoff experience and losses as a group you know, kind of climb all the way to the top of the mountain, but I'm intrigued to see how this Canucks team does. I think this West is murderous. And I think there's going to be three teams that lose in the first round in the West that are going to be absolutely gutted. And they're really good teams. Yeah. It's a shame. And, uh, I'm shame. laughing That's how life works. I'm I'm laughing because Kobe Kobe's still writing in the chat and said, 2011 Boston Bruins didn't score a power play goal. The entire first round, our power play sucked. Yeah, that was 13 years ago. That's that's not the same NHL it anymore. Is, I think it's the exception for sure. A good, but also a good power play. I feel like in 2011, like the power play percentage was probably like 20 percent was a really good power play in the Were NHL. You six then. years old then. I was 15. Yeah, 15. Okay. Yeah, but do you not agree? Like the power play percentage, the success rate has gone up each year. Where you know maybe 13, 15 years ago, a 20 percent power play is a pretty good power play. Now that benchmark is probably like north of 25. Yeah, the numbers have changed a bit, mm-hmm. but your point is still well made in that it's pretty rare to see teams yeah. get through all the way without their special teams working. Both of them, for that matter. Kobe's just trying to bring up the fact that he has a Stanley Cup ring in the chat. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Yeah. But is his name on the cup? No, it's not. I don't think. He's going to yell. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, Frank, any final thoughts for wrap up today's show i really appreciate you taking the time this morning final thoughts this was fun i'd love sparring with you Uh uh tell colby to get off the chat and get in the show and uh yeah looking forward to seeing you guys in toronto did i hold my own today you did you were good you only (laughs) had a few you know sort of hiccups yeah no not hiccups but just a, (laughs) a few weak opinions that's all right okay fair enough fair enough thank you frank and i'll see you in toronto i appreciate it thanks everyone for listening and thanks to our producer vic we'll talk to you guys tomorrow